0: There is no secret formula for scaling customer support and boosting customer satisfaction, but there is the all new HubSpot Service Hub, bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible and free up a rep's time with AI powered help desk, all so you can keep customers happy. Secrets out, Service Hub is a game changer. Visit hubspot.com service to learn more. Principles are the only way to think clearly. If you want to be a clear thinker, you have to think using first principles. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain, your podcast for unconventional ways to grow your business. I am your co host, Kit Bodner. I'm joined, as always, by my co host, Kieran Flanagan, and we have a life. Changing episode for you today. We're going to cover the 10 first principles that will change your life and your business. These are the things that Kieran and I use every day in our lives, whether it be personally professionally, and we are pumped to talk to you about them today. But before we get into first principles, Kieran, I, th- I thought you had one quick thing that you wanted to share with the listeners.
1: Okay, it is uh, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> the new series is that one thing I was really curious on is. They spent a billion dollars doing this series. And I was like, how do they make that money back? I was looking at the average lifetime value of an Amazon Prime subscriber. It's quoted as $2,283. I haven't done the calculation because I did this right before we started. How many months that is. Am I thinking about this right? When I divide that into a billion, they have to do something like 450,000 net new subscribers from that show. That is correct. That is the way to think about that. To recoup that money. Wow, like streaming businesses... It is a hamster wheel of like acquisition. Yes. It is really a hamster wheel of acquisition to keep those businesses sustainable.
0: Well, so there's a couple of things here. When you're running a very media focused streaming business, you always have to have new hits. And I think if you're a company like Amazon, who has a lot of capital, I don't think it's a one for one, like we're going to get 450,000 subscribers. I think we have to have a couple of flagship shows to make our service legit, And viable long term. And you got to remember that once you make the content, it's around forever once you own it, right? And so. What I don't know is what is the lifetime of which they're looking over this value and that cost? Is that five years, 10 years? Is it longer? Uh, I know Amazon does a great job of having a really long-term horizon of thinking. And I think that has to be the decision behind this crazy investment in Lord of the Rings.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I wonder, like, their cross-sell, I guess, is people who are Prime members ordering more on Amazon itself. Some sort of, like, cross-sell upgrade of that price.
0: Yeah, it's driving more e-commerce transactions and then making a better marketplace, having more vendors. They have a huge flywheel that fuels that business. And I think core marquee content that brings people into Prime is a big part of that flywheel. That's why they have NFL football, live sports, other things.
1: Yeah, you're a yes on House of Dragons or no on House of Dragons or a non-watcher of House of Dragons.
0: Okay, so very controversial for everybody listening. I'm a non-watcher of House of Dragons. I did not watch Game of Thrones. Wait, what? I'm not a huge fan of what? fantasy genre. Never seen Game of Thrones, Kieran.
1: Dude, how long have we known each other and we talk all the time? <laughs> I did not know you did not watch never Game of Thrones. Never seen
0: it. No idea. That's
1: weird. I don't know. Yeah, never seen You it. know, we're such dorks. All we talk about is like business and stuff. That I don't even realize that we don't talk about real life. The whole world is talking about Game of Thrones. We're sitting there going, oh, I wonder how we can grow this thing or I wonder how that works. But
0: how can we get a million people to listen to our podcast is our conversation. And not. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Jeez. this is my real life. I don't have a real life outside of this no. is probably the
1: problem. That is true. Okay, well, my summary of House of Dragons and the way I feel about it is like there's this kind of like chart that I could do, which is as dragons go up, show gets more awesome. Dragon time on screen is like completely correlated with how much I enjoy the show. More dragons, better the show.
0: That's your feedback to HBO. More dragons.
1: More dragons. If you are listening to
0: the show and you think it's crazy that I've never seen Game of Thrones, or if you have your own opinions on House of Dragons, hit us up on Twitter at Kit Bodner, at SearchBrat, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We would love to hear from you. Kieran, it's time. We gotta get right to it. Let's go. We have an action-packed show today. This is a topic that I am deeply, deeply passionate about. It's like my operating system for life. I think it's your operating system for life. We're talking about 10 first principles that are gonna change your life and your business. But before we can tell you about what those principles are, we have to talk about how you think and use first principles. My hot take here to everybody listening to Marketing Against the Grain is that first principles are the only way to think clearly. If you want to be a clear thinker, you have to think using first principles. So, what the heck are first principles and how do you use them? Kieran, I would love it if you could tell everybody listening how you think about using first principles like what are they more abstractly before we get into some of the more specific ones that we use every day.
1: I think first principles is stripping away reasoning by comparison. This is the way it's done, so this is the way we mm-hmm. need to do that. It's kind of stripping away all those things and get into the root of what matters. Let me tell you a great example of how Elon Musk actually used first principles to start building rockets. Who hasn't had the kind of want to build rockets when they were younger? Well, Elon Musk actually managed to do it. Now, when he first went into that market, what he realized was the price to build rockets was astronomical, just huge. And that's why no one else could do it. And so he really approached this from a kind of physics framework, right? Physics teaches you to think in first principles rather than analogy. So he starts to think about, okay, in first principles, what is a rocket actually made of? And he pulled apart all of the raw materials. And then he looked in the commodity market and he said, okay, why are these materials so much more expensive? I know how I can fix this problem. I can actually start a company, start to buy those raw materials for cheap within the market and actually build rockets in a much more efficient way. So he got to the root of the problem. He did not say, This is how other companies have built rockets in the past. I have to copy the same playbook. I need to adopt the same cost. He thought, no, at the root, how is this thing actually built from the ground up? And how can I do it in a much more efficient way? And that was for him getting the raw materials much more cheaply and building those rockets himself. Oh, I love this.
0: For me, first principles are how you divorce emotion from problem solving. Emotion is really important. It's like, you know, one of the unique things about human beings is like you need to feel, but it can really cloud your thinking and cause you to make poor decisions or suboptimal decisions. If you don't move that emotion to the side and think about, oh, here are the core ways I need to think about this problem. And normally for me, first principles are about like, what are these core systems of beliefs that I have and how do I apply them to every situation to make sure I am stripping that problem down to its core, core issues at hand and that I am thinking about it fundamentally very different than anybody else in the world. Because if I am thinking about that problem differently than anyone else in the world, I'm going to solve that problem differently than anyone else in the world. And that maximizes my best chance to have the best solution to problem and have the best result. Whether that be an awesome breakthrough in work, whether it be a different way to live your life in a happier or better way, like that doesn't matter. It is the ability to remove emotion, And to think about those problems fundamentally differently. Again, this podcast is called Marketing Against the Grain. Against the Grain is our proxy for doing things in a counterintuitive way. And that's why we're here to talk about first principles with you today. You ready for my first, first principle that we're going to talk about today? Let's do it. Okay. I want to start with the one that I probably use the most and the one that I probably tell other people the most. And you've heard it from me probably a thousand times. So you feel free to make fun of me for it. Yeah. Every situation has an unfair advantage if you look for it. That to me is one of like my gold standard first principles. I don't care how bad your situation is. I don't care how rough you think it is. If you look around, you have an unfair advantage because of that situation you're in. For example, if you're in a really bad situation, you have no money or you just failed a big project at work, whatever that may be, the fact that you have nothing to lose is your unfair advantage. There is no downside. So you can take all upside, right? There's always an unfair advantage. It may not be the unfair advantage you like, but there is always an unfair advantage. Most people just
1: don't take the time to actually look for it. There's actually something else within that principle that we talked about before, which is optimism. <laughs> yeah, it is. Optimism is inherently baked into that. It's inherently baked into that, which is this thing is happening that is not going the way I thought it would, but there is something within this that I can turn into leverage. And to be able to do that, you need to be an internal optimist, right? I think that's an important part of that. But I agree, like there's always points of leverage in the things that are most challenging, for sure. Because if you are finding those things challenging, whether in business or life, everyone else is finding those things challenging. Your leverage is like, how do you solve them in counterintuitive ways? I love that. All right. So that was my first one. What's yours? All right. I don't know if this is controversial or not. (laughs) 80% of your time should be spent on high achievers, not those who are struggling. Yes. 80% of your time should be spent on high achievers, not those who are struggling. So what happens when you lead large teams? Much of your time is spent helping people who are struggling, coaching people who are struggling, removing blockers for people who are struggling, mending relationships for people who are struggling, and actually giving people who are struggling continual positive reinforcement. And what actually happens, you're like the high achievers, they know they're doing great work. I don't need to spend as much time with them to tell them those things. I don't need to check in with them as much because they've always done a great job. It's actually the opposite of what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. You should always really care about the people who are doing incredible work. Make sure that they continue to have things they do that they're excited. Make sure that they continue to know that work they're doing is extremely important. And make sure that you continue to check in and say, hey, are you feeling good about this? Do you want a new challenge? Like, how are you doing? And so that is the thing that I think most people do the opposite way around. And I think is the wrong way to think about that thing. Leadership. Yeah,
0: so said differently. It's most people spend too much of their time focusing on problems versus opportunities, right? Right. And you're talking about it through the lens of people, which is awesome. The question I have for you before we move on is, how do you apply that to your personal life? Mm. Does that mean you just kind of drop some friends off? It's like, oh, this person's actually not, like a good long-term influence in my life? Like I get the work side of it, but in your day-to-day life, how does that apply?
1: I think that's a really good question. I know people who are really ruthless about that. I've met people who are like pretty high achievers and really ruthless about- You can talk about me, I'm here. You can say it's me, it's fine. (laughs) Yeah, Kip. Every year Kip has an interview panel set up to like, hey, I'm gonna either (laughs) hang out with you or not. Dependent upon like, are you gonna be additive to my life or subtractive? (laughs) You're the average of the five people
0: you spend the most time
1: with. Yeah, yeah. It is true, like whoever you spend time with is really the most impactful thing to your life. Yes. Some friends are just there that they're impactful in different ways. Like they're fun. They know you really well. Mm -hmm. They give you good advice. They don't have to be impactful in terms of like career wise, which I think a lot of people get mixed up on. But I do think there's times where you outgrow friends for sure.
0: Well, I love that. And I want to put in one of my first principles as first principle number three on our discussion because it links to what you just said. For me, how I think about it is who you spend time with is the most important input to who you will be, Mm. right? Who you spend time with is the most important input to who you will be as a person. And so whether that be personally, professionally, doesn't matter, but that it kind of builds off of what you were just talking about, of like spending time helping the best performers on the team or making sure you have friends that really are additive to you. That really comes out to me as like, oh, if you are thoughtful about who is in your life, you will be a better person because of that.
1: Right, I love that one. It's you, first principle number four. So you watch uh, Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah, obviously. Okay, you know that is like, Mm. getting people revved <laughs> yeah. up. This is what I'm going to do for my four yeah. mm. Yep. Yep. More is always better. More is always better. Audience buys leverage. <laughs> mm. More is always better. Audience buys leverage. Every company needs to understand that. Yes. Love Just it. Just more is better. The bigger the audience, the more leverage you have. B2B companies stay within their little niche and oh no, we don't even target uh, our
0: little buyers. All companies are too
1: niche. And that is like too niche. You want to be the voice for your market. Hell yeah. And there's a reason you want audience. They don't all convert. No, but they give you leverage in such a ton of ways. And that is the one thing that you and I have always agreed on, right? Anytime we have a problem, we're just like, should we just go get more? For years and years and years. (laughs) Should we just like fix this with more? (laughs) We need
0: more, huh? Yeah, we need more.
1: Yeah, we need more. Now, like you have to be smarter about how you do that. But that is one of the things that I uh, really believe within business uh, truly, truly matters.
0: All right, Karen, I got first principle number five coming in for you, and it is one of my faves, and I want to share it with the audience. You ready for this? It is. Most choices are false binaries. Don't settle for or Instead, go with yes. <laughs> Let me unpack this for everybody. Most choices are false binaries, which means you actually don't need to make the choice. They are just imposed to you because of social norms or other people. You actually don't have to choose. Sometimes you can just say yes. And this is a great first principle to live in work or personal life because you can just literally just say yes. When somebody asks you a question, just say, yeah. And they're like, but but what? And you're like, no, yeah, both. I've done that to you before. You know I yeah, have. That's why you're laughing. That is what We always say You're like, oh, I don't know. Should we hire this person or should we do this other thing? And I'm like, yeah, both.
1: Yeah, that is your thing, actually. You do that in like, and I get this is part of just working in high growth tech companies. Like, I think we can pull this or pull that off. You're like, uh, oh, no, 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 just do both of those things. We need both of those things to work. You're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I wish I didn't present you the second one, but <laughs> <laughs> I should have just kept that sandbagged. But is this bullshit? Do you buy that this is actually possible
0: for everybody out there listening to not have to make as many like false choices and that so many of the choices we're faced either work strategy-wise or in personal life, we actually don't have to make.
1: Why do we do that then? Because I think there's sometimes where you have to make an either-or decision, for sure. Yes. So like maybe talk to me about when people are actually making the wrong either-or decision. When does that kind of come up? Why do people do that?
0: Well, people make an or type of decision when they think there's more limitations for like funding, resources, opportunity than there actually are. They make an or decision when they don't think they have the authority to make the yes decision. When they think that the expectations are low enough from somebody else that, oh, I only have to do one of these things. Yeah, So it's like low expectations. It is unclarity of like resourcing, opportunity, like potential, I would say. The third thing is like, they don't feel like they have the authority to make those decisions. And once you realize that like, yeah, most humans have the authority to make decisions and that normally most situations have way more potential than less potential, or you wouldn't be thinking about yeah. them, right? Like assume we're all smart people. We're thinking about this problem because it's important and it's going to have a big outcome for us. So like, why are we going to choose? Why wouldn't we try to do both things?
1: Yeah. I love that. I love that. Let me give you number six. All right. Coming in a little controversial. So problems are more important than solutions. Problems are more important than solutions. Mm. Why do I think that? So even think about personal life, right? Really good example. Mm -hmm. The person who continually switches jobs... Because they are trying to find a solution, but they misunderstand what the problem is. They misunderstand how they're going to actually be fulfilled. What are their actual goals, right? They're trying to find a solution in a career, but they actually haven't defined the problem that they're trying to solve with that career. It happens in business all the time, right? We solution before we truly understand the problem. We have a half-baked problem, so we get actually erratic and half-baked solutions. Love this. Crystallizing problems is so much more important than actually the solution in of itself. Like if you truly understand the problem, solutions are not that hard. No, they're, they're not. They're not that hard. I actually think understanding their problem and why it truly matters actually gives you all the things you need for that solution. So that is my one. I will give you the other take on this. Ooh, Kim-
0: I love that one.
1: I love that. Every marketer should try to either spend time in product or take a product course. Yeah, ooh, love this. Because a PM's entire job is like crystallizing problems. That's a sweeping generalization, (laughs) but like it is truly understanding problems because how do they communicate with their engineers? Well, how do engineers and PMs work together? They actually really frame Mm -hmm. up problems really well, right? They actually really want to understand the problem. And then the engineers can actually go figure out how to actually solve that in creative ways. And so I think to me, problems are more important than solutions. And it's a kind of misunderstood skill set or misrepresented skill set in most people. Most people are not good at doing that.
0: You're completely right that the best product managers and product leaders are just expert distillers and discoverers of problems. And that marketers and anybody in business can learn that skill. And I think it's also a skill that the most successful CEOs and executives have. So... I love that. I don't think that's controversial at all. I freaking love that one. And it's one that I probably could and should use more because I actually think you're really good at it and I'm like medium at it. So that's awesome. Are you ready for number seven, Kieran? Let's go. I got a good one. You ready? This is another optimism one. If people haven't learned, I'm an optimist. Humans are more alike than we are different. You can always find commonalities. And what this means is that we all have really tough times with other people, right? Both in work and personally, we're like, oh man, this person just like completely annoys me or I can't stand working with this person. If you are in that kind of situation with anyone, you have just not yet found the commonality that you can work together and have a great relationship with that person. I have been around the world. I have seen people in every walk of life. And I can tell you that as humans, we are far, far more alike than we are different. And once you understand that, You can turn any tough situation into a good situation by finding the commonalities that you have with that person or that group of people. And it's hard. It's really hard to do that sometimes. And sometimes that commonality is a shared problem, shared goal. Sometimes it's some undiscovered shared personal experience that you didn't realize you both had. And I think, Kieran, we see this a lot in our work environment where something will come up and we'll learn something new about somebody that transforms like how we work with them and how we interact with them. And it's hard to do that when you just get into the nuts and bolts of doing work and you have to have a little bit of time to understand and know the person that you're working with. And so if something's like not working there, it's probably because you haven't taken the time to know the person that you're trying to work with and find those commonalities.
1: I think there's two really good points to this in terms of how people can adopt that into their own work, life, the first is what you said is if you're managing a team or even if you're just working within a company, getting to know people helps to better find the commonalities. Mm-hmm. It's hard to find commonalities if all you see that person is through the lens of the work, right? They do X, I do Y. It's very different and I disagree with how they do their work. The other thing that is really good to do here when there's like real friction with someone is like a sit down and say, okay, can we go through this step by step? And we first find the areas that we agree on. You know, you start from a point of, positivity. Like, okay, well, like, let's go through Mm -hmm. this problem. Okay. Do we agree on this? Yeah. We kind of agree on that. We agree on that. Okay. So it's this thing that we truly disagree on. We actually agree on all this stuff, like more than we had thought, but we truly disagree on this part. And I think there's always commonalities. Does that mean that you can work your way through that? each and every time? No. But does it make it much easier if you start from a point of like the things you agree on into the things you disagree on? I think it sets that conversation. I love There's that. There's a better tone about that conversation. There's a better feel yes. about yes. that conversation versus coming in, what I used to do in my early, in my career is come in and go, ah, I'm right. <laughs> Damn you. <laughs> I'm right. You were all <laughs> yeah. stupid. You Get out of wrong. My way. Why can't you just see it? It's just there. Look, there it is. We should just do this thing. Come on. Stop wasting time. Let's go, go, go. So, yes, I agree with this one. And that's why nobody liked working with Kieran for a <laughs> while. <laughs> uh, come on,
0: come on. But in all seriousness, most companies and most people put themselves into too small of a niche than they need to. Agreed. Right? This applies just as well to you as a person as it does to your business, and your company, and your category. It's like most people sell themselves short. You know, the saying that Kimberly tells me, Kieran, uh, is once you understand your own value, you stop giving everybody else a discount, right? And that is kind of the personal proxy of like, oh, once you understand what you're capable of, you don't put yourself
1: in the box anymore. And Ah. you can
0: really, really go and strive for more as a
1: person. Shout out, Kimberly. That is awesome. Once you know your value, stop giving everyone a discount. Holy smokes. (laughs) That is a really great one. Like, don't give away your time cheaply. Love it. It's a good one. All right. I got number nine coming in here for everyone. This is my
0: last one. I am very torn. There are a bunch I would like to say. Maybe if this episode crushes, you guys share it. People love it. We'll come back and we'll do a repeat encore where we pull out some of our other first principles. What do you think about that, Karen? You know, I sent you my list. I got a pretty long list here, don't I? Kip
1: sent me a list in Slack and I was like, holy smokes, this guy has a lot of first principles. That's when he's scratching the surface. So yeah, we can do ours, first principles. You're like, he's a crazy person. A book, you could do a book on first principles. It's like a whole (laughs) novel just on first principles.
0: Well, if you all, if everybody listening likes it, we'll come back with our encore. But for this episode, we got two final ones. I'm going to give you one, Kieran's going to give you one, and we're going to summarize all of this for you all. All right, for my last one, this is a tough choice, but I think this is important, which is you never get what you want if you don't ask for it, Kieran. And this is really about the expectations you set with others, I think so much of the agita that I see in the daily world and in daily life comes from people mad at other people for stuff that they never told them I about. know, oh my <laughs> right? God, this like, is the best one. Oh, I
1: can't believe this person didn't do this thing. <laughs> this is actually the best right? one. I hate this drives me crazy. This one drives
0: me crazy about humanity. But then I realized I was doing it too, you know, Kieran, where it was like, oh man, I'm just mad at all these people that I actually just didn't set clear expectations with and tell them what I needed or what I wanted. And like, that's just stupid. And once you realize this, you're like, wait, wait, my job is to give people very clear expectations. And if they don't meet them, Then I can tell them, hey, you you didn't meet my expectations. And it's very clear as to why we're not good. Whereas like when you don't tell people expectations then you both just make up stories in your head about the other person, whether this be at work, this be at home, it doesn't matter. But like to me, if you have angst in a situation, it is normally because somebody did not take the time to be very clear about what they wanted and what
1: they expected. Right. So let me dive in in this one, right? Oh, please. I know you love this one. If you want to be a, an incredible employee, incredible manager, get comfortable with giving people feedback directly. Yes. What I have seen to be very common is, hey, Kieran, here's some feedback about this person. And I'm like, okay, did you tell them <laughs> oh no no no! I I haven't told nope. them any of this. <laughs> like okay, all right, well, like maybe tell them and then see if it improves, right? And so there's that part of it. There's in, in work, be an incredible employee, be a great colleague, be an incredible manager. Please tell people, right? Get comfortable with doing that. It is just such a bad yes. trait. And like, there's some things that are very sensitive. For sure, like you can't tell everyone everything directly. I of get course. that. But get comfortable with giving people feedback. They will, for the most part, appreciate it if they are like a good person. Good people appreciate feedback. I will say that in my personal life, the thing I struggle with most is- I get hyper-focused on things. Like, I know that you're the same way. And people think that you don't care about them because you're not paying attention to anything else. That's how my life works. (laughs) So, like, my entire, like... Everything could be in fire. The house could be in fire. Everything could be fire. And I could, I'm literally, you know, that meme with the little dog and like everything is fine with the laptop. Like <laughs> yes. that's just me, like trying to figure out this thing that I'm really obsessed by, and my whole life is chaotic and fire. And then like five months later, people are like, "We hate you. You know, we totally hate you now. And because you're doing this and this and this, it's like, why don't you just tell me?" Right. I'm in my cocoon. I'm in a cocoon. Yeah. In my little Kieran bubble. Yes. Being obsessed. And I need you to tell me stuff. Once you tell me, you know this about me. I am so quick to act on feedback. Yes. You are awesome at taking feedback like, that minute. It's changed. Right. But it drives me crazy. Yes. The words when people say to me, oh, you should know I shouldn't. <laughs> Because <laughs> you've told me. And I- <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: no, you should never expect anybody to read your mind. No. That is just not a fair expectation. But if you tell people what you expect, then that's a whole, whole different ballgame. And the corollary to this, for everybody listening, is part of getting what you want and setting expectations is telling people who you are. Mm, right. And that. like, Kieran and I get lost in problems. And it's really important for us to tell people like, look, I know that you may think this is crazy, but this is actually how my brain works. and you just need to not take this personally. Like, I will just see this screen and, you know, a truck of money could drive by and I wouldn't even notice, (laughs) right? Like, it just wouldn't matter. I'd be like, wait, no, no, no. I'm trying to find the perfect (laughs) word to say this thing. Leave me alone. And like, I think that is the thing that you have to help people understand. So a, a proxy to this first principle, which is like, you have to ask for what you want, basically, is you also have to tell people who you are. I love that. So that you can work with them to get what they want and get what you want. I love it. So I love that. Kieran, We're at number 10 now. Bring us home. What is our final first principle today?
1: I've got a couple, but I think I'll go for this one. We had a really great episode with uh, Samae from CMO of Sequoia. Go watch it. It's one of our best episodes to date. And so this was a little along the lines of the small companies grow into large companies. So I think first principle, small companies need to optimize for execution. Large companies need to optimize for alignment. Oh yeah. And so what I mean by that is... You can get away with a pretty poor team structure and alignment in early phases, but what really matters is like how you execute, right? You don't need to have the most optimal team Mm -hmm. structure. You don't need to have the most optimal set of processes, but if people are really great and they can execute, they can kind of circumnavigate those things. When you are a large company, uh, you kind of know the things that you're meant to be doing and know the things that you work, but what happens is the alignment piece really starts to drag you down. And I think that it shifts from like execution to alignment, not that those two things fade away in terms of importance, but the priority of those things shift as you become a bigger, bigger company.
0: I love that one. And there's kind of a a really cool first principle I think is really related to that, Kieran, that I heard from Andrew Huberman on Lex Friedman's podcast. If you haven't checked out that interview, it's really good. Dr. Huberman's a Stanford neurologist has an amazing podcast called Huberman Lab. Awesome. But you know, what he said, Kieran, is he had this eight second sentence. I'm going to try my best to remember it, which is basically that creativity is nonlinear thinking and productivity is the implementation of linear thinking, basically, right? They're ah, completely at odds is with each so other,
1: good. That is so <laughs> you good.
0: know? And it's like, oh, once you're like, oh, that makes so much sense. I see the world much better God, now. God, I wish
1: I said that. That's so awesome. And
0: it, it, it's very much like what you're saying, right? Is, oh, you have to balance this scale and building and operating and like, maturation of a business. But the building blocks of that is like, how do I give space for non-linearity and creativity? And then how do I actually then operationalize that and turn that into like this linear process to make that creativity actually productive for the world? Yes. And that is, I think, what you're trying to talk about here. Yes. Which I love. Love it. totally, totally agree with Nailed it. Okay. Those are pretty awesome first principles. We're biased, they're ours. But these are things that we use every day to guide the decisions we make and how we do our work, how we live our lives. I hope that if any of them resonated with you, that you will start using them. And I hope that you will find it transformative. If you do, please hit us up on Twitter, at Kit Bodner, at SearchBrett. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you there as well. Tell us which one really resonated that you are going to use or maybe already use and has a really big impact. I think that we learned so much about first principles and first principles are really the tool for how we think clearly, professionally, and personally.
1: Kieran, anything that you want to add before we get out of here today? No, I think if you are going through that show and you're like, wow, there's just so many of those things, take a couple, take a couple. Yeah. And really kind of like just internalize them and start to use them and how you think about that problem.
0: I love it. That's awesome advice. Please hit us up with any feedback you have on the show. We will be back with you very, very soon. And until next time, it's been Marketing Against the Grain. Thanks, everyone.